0: Welcome back to another episode of In Swine Versation: Evolution as a South Farm Manager with Craig Miranda, South Farm Manager at B&W Pork. Welcome, Craig.
1: Well, welcome. Um, glad to be here with you, Jim, and, and enjoy discussing pigs anytime.
0: So this is an exciting interview with us. You're with a smaller, smaller company. South Farm Manager, as we mentioned, what's the Craig Miranda story?
1: Uh, Craig Miranda's story starts back uh, a few years ago. I was uh, raised on a small, purebred Hampshire farm. We had a 100 sows and uh, raised tobacco and grain, corn to feed the hogs. And and went uh, graduated high school in 82, back when entrance rates were through the roof. And then uh, mom and dad said, knowing the future there was, go to college and I'd go from there. So I graduated college in 87. I took a year off and uh, Worked for Isler, Durocks, and Yorks in Ohio for a year. Sold feed for Perina Mills for three years and was a hog buyer in 1990. Started here in Indiana. That's how we got to Indiana. And In 2008, of course, when the transition of the buying station becoming like dinosaurs and everything being bought on the telephone, uh, I traded hog futures for Ruth packing and bought hogs for them. And in 2008, started managing this thousand-sow unit. And uh still continued to buy hogs until I retired from that in two thousand I think it was nineteen, November two thousand nineteen. So been involved in swine industry all oh, pretty much all my life. So
0: And the owners finish all the pigs, right?
1: Yes. Uh the previous owners finished all the pigs and a new owner. We just uh sold this unit about a year and a half ago. They finish all the pigs too, small independent. We have a thousand mamas here at this Sal unit. So
0: yeah. So you're an Ohio State grad. You have longevity with with the company, which is now B and W. Can you explain the importance of continuity with the organization? And because there's a lot of job hoppers today, and you've been there for a while.
1: Yeah, that's um, interesting And in the job market that we have today. A guy could put a job in the morning and have another one by noon. But I think it's slowing down a little bit. But I think if uh, the key point is uh, <clears throat> to find a way to make the employees feel as if they're owners. Uh, They got to take ownership somehow and you got to create an environment where uh, in the freedom to allow people to make decisions and feel that they're very important and everything that they decide to do affects the bottom line down the road and and allow innovativeness and people to explore and find new ways to do things and it might end up saving you money. So I think you get that buy-in Uh, people are more willing to stay and then being just treated well I'm here to say seven eight hours a day and punch the clock and go home but if you can get some buy-in people that love pigs will fall into that real easy so
0: that's the key. Now what about technology in a sow farm how has it affected you in a good and maybe a negative way if, if that's applicable?
1: Yeah technology I remember in Ohio State University I had a a course called Rural Sociology 101, and it talked about culture shock, and it talked about our grandparents, how they went from uh, farming with horse and horses and hand everything to the invention of the, the refrigerator and tractors and technology, and you could say the same thing about our generation, that culture shock, uh, you know, we all had a phone tattered to, to the wall, and... and uh, <laughs> Now, everybody carries a phone in the pocket, and uh, it, it, it's just amazing, and technology will keep improving, and I'm not so sure we have to adopt everything that comes along, but things that work for you and your farm, I think it's a good thing to do. You know, we started feeding sows. When I first started here, we fed sows three times a day with a feed cart. Now, we have automatic feed, and we just turn on and automatically does it. So, and in technology, you know, you got alarm systems, and you can go from your phone and see what the temperature is in every room and what's going on. And so some of the things we adopted, I wouldn't say an AI is a big one, you know, we all naturally bred. Uh, We started collecting our own bores back when the day, in the late eighties, we were doing that. And today, you know, the semen comes and two or three times a week, it's fresh. And and the AI rods are all different. The inner catheter now is different. So there's a lot of things that come down and most of them have been for improvement. And it's like when he put the automatic feed line in it, he said it comes with a fishing pole, a rod and reel, because you're got so much time, you know. We used to, <laughs> we spent 45 minutes three times a day feeding south. Now we're going to have all this time, we're going to go fishing. But you find yourself doing other things, it's just, I call it a treadmill effect. Uh, we're able to take care of pigs, maybe day one pig care better, some other things. So there's things that fill your time and are going to
0: pay bigger dividends with technology. Has it affect communication with employees at all?
1: oh uh, you know there's a big issue with uh, some big farms we're not so much here but we're technology they don't allow any cell phones inside the building just because of animal welfare and people maybe doing things they shouldn't and, and somebody videoing it and getting bad pr with it uh, you know we don't discourage it but we uh we allow it to, at this point you know anybody that needs to carry one can carry one uh but no, it 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 uh, hasn't really affected this on that end of it. But
0: so moving from technology to decision making, how are decisions made on in your operation?
1: Yeah, we're very fortunate uh, here. We have, uh, you know, we'll, we'll set down with the owners and we'll have uh, goals that we set and then targets that we like to meet, and then uh, it's pretty much uh, we we stay on. Top of that, and the, the farm manager is responsible to make sure that those things happen. And if there's any uh, break in the system, uh, we're communicating that right away and getting things under control. Uh, the good vet relationship's very important too, and helping to achieve all those targets and producing a healthy pig out the door. So, but we we have a free reign. Uh, we we are able to get done and make decisions in the moment. We don't have to wait. Uh, for get back to headquarters and a week later get an answer so it's it's on the ground grassroots that right now decided and and then put in action so
0: do you have a contingency plan for ASF or any other kind of emergency outbreak
1: we have uh posted on the window here emergency contacts and everything in case uh, nobody's here and people they call but of course we have biosecurity uh, aspects into place, and, and uh, we follow them uh, to the best of our ability. I'm not saying, obviously, there's a break. If you ain't broke with purrs or anything, uh, somehow that got gets into the garden. But, yeah, we got adopted uh, back when PED was real prevalent in t- late 2013-14. Uh, we even uh, we, we set up a disinfectant bottle where we spray the bottom of our shoes. We got a boot box where we... Uh, Take everything off right there and put it in the box, and then go into the shower uh, area and shower in, shower out, and um, anything that comes into the farm, we're we're disinfecting and and watching. But uh, it's uh, kind of scary. Um, and you got to set borders. There's a clean area and a dirty area, and make sure everybody knows where that's at and follows it. So,
0: as a decision maker, how have you managed inflation? The
1: inflation, you say? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a good question. And there's some things, especially when you break disease, you you have no control over and you have to uh, spend more than you really want to. Uh, But we are cost conscious and always uh, aware of the bottom line and decisions we make and buying supplies and things that affect um, the way we do things. So uh, it is a little troublesome, especially with inflation and labor issue and, and what we used to be able to hire somebody and, and get them uh uh is uh, totally different than what it is today so uh, we live in an area where rv industry is very strong <clears throat> so wages are very competitive here and, and it's uh had an effect on that as well so it has increased our cost per pig just from an inflation side side of it from labor and in supplies we used to get a box of uh nitrile gloves for seven dollars a box and now they're with covet and everything and plants shut down they're over they're over or three times higher than that
0: now so it, it
1: it has a affected us big time
0: now what about you personally as a sow farm manager talk about the evolution from when you started to where you are today um yeah how has that evolved
1: uh it's uh it looks quite different you know we used to have 100 purebred hampshire sows and they were outside and they throw a hundred pound bag of feed on your shoulder and go feed them on the ground and had a farrowing house and uh, without wire, and it was just concrete and scrape crates and bed it was straw. So it's uh, totally different with wire and slats and confinement buildings now. And in the extended uh, period, we're able to you know take care of a lot of pigs quicker. And just uh, the concept of uh, you know, things on wire and, and, and cleanliness and things, but we still had to pressure wash and do all that, those stuff. And whereas before we, you know, we weren't as cautious as that, but, uh, still the same concept, the clean, dry draft free environment, uh, is what's best for the pigs. And we've always, you know, gone to that extreme to do the best we can for, for the pigs, you know, mom and the babies. So it, uh different as far as you know the technology that affected the way we do it so
0: now what about your top 3 uh top 3 tips for sow farm management top 3 tips okay very good
1: i say uh, you know the most important thing is with all the employees even from the feed mill clear down to somebody pressure wash every job is the most important job on the farm And you got to have that feeling that it is and you're able to do it to your best of your ability and do it as if everything counts on it because it does down the line. And the number two is uh, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing right. Or as your grandma might have said, haste makes waste. Or if you don't find time to do it right the first time, you will have to find time to do it again. And you could do that with, you know, anything from processing pigs to power washing. If the crates aren't clean proper and the manager comes through before they load south, well, this one, this one, this one's got to be done. The corners aren't clean. Maybe pig poop here on the wall Uh, will have to be redone because um, it affects the survivability of the pig, the mama, and the baby's going in there. So, you know, the same way as breeding gilts. If you're in a hurry and don't do it proper in 21 days, you're going to be doing it again. So do it right the first time and take your time and, and enjoy it, and allow your employees to make decisions and make mistakes. Uh, the only questions I remember messing in high school and college were the ones that I messed. I learned from those. So if you're really interested in learning, you learn from your mistakes and things that you mess up. So, but the smart people adapt to it quickly and readjust and go on down the road and make improvements. But I think that's important to allow that. So.
0: Yeah. It's, it's how we learn it's uh, you know we, we make mistakes we learn we grow and improve from it. Correct. Now what about uh, hot takes? Can you k- kind of comment briefly We'll list a few topics we'll get get your quick input on that Craig. Some hot topics yeah yeah so it's seaboard and mass shops they had a recent transaction a little bit of consolidation. Right, yeah. We've,
1: we've been seeing consolidation. When I started, started buying pigs, there were probably three or four buyers uh, packing plants in Ohio, and at the end, there was just one, Ruth, Pack, Gage, Ruth Packing Company. Uh, and the same thing in Indiana. We used to have uh, Wilson's, uh, Worthington. Wilson's got bought out by Ty, Ty, uh, Tyson. Uh, there was one down in southern Indiana, and it closed up, uh, but uh, it's continually consolidated and gotten smaller and smaller, and, it is a concern because to have a free market system, you have to have many participants on both sides of the equation, many sellers, many buyers. And when we can keep continually consolidate, it makes you question as a small independent, where do I fit in? And, you know, we spend millions down here and on the ground for facilities. And then the next thing you know, you gotta become a part of a packer, uh, own part of the packing plant to make a small amount of margin. And where does that stop? Do we have to only retail also? Uh, so it is a concern. And then the other thing that it does allow is uh, few buyers and few sellers is and where you can uh, be able to participate and see the lawsuits we're seeing with uh, price fixing. So uh, that is a very very major concern and and a problem that
0: we needs to be addressed somehow. So. What about like a better tasting product?
1: Yeah, that's interesting because the the pork checkoff is re- trying to reinvent themselves and 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 they've come up with you know the the other white meat back in the early '80s and we went extremely lean and then even the Packers got on board and participated in this by paying premiums for leaner hogs and uh, you had the fatometer, you had the the ultrasound things reading back fat and loin depth and the leaner the hogs were, the you know the more money the the, the hog producers made so we extended ourselves in such a direction that I think we, we keep going from one extreme to the other, no matter what it seems like we're dealing with. And I think there needs to be a happy medium. We need to have some marbling in the pork product uh, as uh, you know, the, the highest price cuts are the ones that bacon and bacon really uh, was a side product. We put in the freezer and got out in the summertime as a packer to get rid of when BLPs became, but it seemed like, uh, consumer found out that was really good tasting and the, the fast chain started putting it on everything from baked potatoes to your sandwiches to uh, salads and boy it, it became a major player for a pack to re, recoup the cost of the pig now it's the bacon the hams and loin used to be it now they're they are you know way down the line so it is it's a concern that we do need to get uh, approving our uh, pork product to where the consumer will pay a top price for a good, good piece of meat. And I think we're educating them on ways to cook too. And uh, that will help. We used to say 160. Now it's 140. And so if we can do that, we're going to improve, improve our product and the consumer enjoying it when they actually have it. So we want a good experience for the housewife and everybody involved. So it's very important that we produce a product that will continue to uh, drive our industry. So that's our main goal, supply a wholesome product for the consumer. And it makes us feel good as producers. We've got a wholesome job here that we're providing and feeding people throughout the world, a very economical product. So we need to find ways to improve that. I know if you look at per capita consumption here in the US, it's pretty flat for the last 40 years. So if it wasn't for
0: exports, I think we'd be in trouble thoughts on the whole stone project in south
1: dakota yeah that packing plant there, uh, getting uh, i think it's uh, one of some things i've read is going to be able to go happen uh, there was some resistance there but again we got uh, producers buying in and, and going to own a packing company i wish them well uh, back in the 90s we had feed companies doing that i remember freedom mills got involved with morale packing and and they had hogs out too, but there. and then you had uh, Illinois' uh, packing company there that went into, and I can't remember top of my head what that was called. Anyway, they, there's a lot of them that failed. So, But I think uh, it's changed now uh, because uh, we have some experience the people involved with uh, moving the product. And that's the main thing. You gotta have a outlet for your product uh, to be able to make it successful. To be able to just say we're going to build a packing plant and kill hogs and sell the product, you find out you've got another area there that you need an expert in or a foot in the door. So I wish them well. I hope it works for them.
0: Yeah. And the the butcher shop is kind of a neat concept, too. Right. And you think that we have a genetics problem, Craig?
1: Well, as as a I've been involved with the sow farm, you know, and, and things with pigs all my life. And uh, for uh, an industry to be in such an area where we say that a 15% sow mortality is normal is just uh, mind-boggling and, 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 and very concerning. We're used to a 4 or 5% sow mortality in a sow farm our size, you know, had would be one dead sow a week. Uh, and... When you when you have you spiked up to fifteen percent, it is very concerning with these rectal prolapses or POPS they call them, and uh, pelvic organ prolapses. So there is a major problem, and uh, very concerning. I believe it's all genetic related, and because of the the push for sows per pig, pig per sow per year, and everybody bragging about how many they're they're weaning and and we focused on that side, it was very low heritability, but when you intensify as we have for years and years and years, I think we've created a problem here that needs to be addressed and and fixed. Uh, How did they do it? I'm sure we're gonna be able to figure it out, but uh, I'm convinced it's genetic because uh, we broke uh, a supplier that we had for uh, gilts back before we started breeding our own uh, broke with purrs, and so we had to pull some finishers, gilts off the finishing floor. And these were terminal gilts, and we brought them in. when we spiked from about 4% sow mortality to 12-15, uh, with the leading genetics, uh, none of these terminal sows, up to four parodies, ever pop none of them. And that told me right there, it's genetic. So I'm convinced. We have a major problem and we can fix it. We can go buy a semen that's 10, 20 years old and start breeding <laughs> maternally, Sal land race, C- York cross and fix it. But, you know, it's a concern and it, it should not be normal. It isn't, the industry won't accept it. If they are, they're going to have trouble finding help. And I think the consumer out there is not, would not be happy about it.
0: Final take, Craig what was one defining and challenging moment and how did you use resiliency to tame the tide, improve and grow from the experience? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. I I was uh, diagnosed with cancer in 2008
1: and ended up 21 days in the hospital. And there was days I begged just to let it all in. The pain was so, so bad, Uh, but the proof, through perseverance and prayer and resilience and learning to just take it one day at a time, I'm glad it didn't end. And in 2000 February 2000, this year, February 6th, 22, we broke with PERS here, string 174. And uh, we just received gilts from uh, ISO barn six days before. And the first row of sows and gestation next to those gilts we're all off feed the next day, the next row, and the next day, and it progressed throughout the whole farm until a day we were dragging 10 sows out a day and 20 aborts a day. And the people, the help was just devastated, morally, emotionally, you know, they didn't want to come to work. How many we got to drag out today? And it was, it was take it one day at a time, we can get through this and, and, uh, work our way through. And there's been fallout, uh, immune system challenged in these sows. And we've had to fight other issues along the way, but we did not depop and repop. Uh, we actually run three, June, July, August, uh, September PERS free pigs out the door. Uh, October we have flared back up here with the pigs with a uh, PERS positive. So we're still struggling with it and getting through it, but we're, uh, working with the vet and vaccinating more than I ever had with whole herd vaccinations, which we did before with popular PERS vaccine, but apparently the 174 strain was totally like a naive herd here. Never seen it before, and it hit it hit hard. There was two weeks there. It was very, very rough, but uh, we'll take it one day at a time, and and we, we're getting through it. So,
0: Well, Craig Miranda, thanks for joining us today on In Swine Versation.
1: I've enjoyed it, Jim, and uh, and invite any time, anywhere. I enjoy working with pigs and love working with them.
0: You're an industry lifer.
1: Mm-hmm.